Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. A um, couple of things I wanted to speak out real fast before I get going on our message today. Just If you're new to our church, we don't... Um, I say it wrong. We receive offering on Sunday morning. We just don't pass anything. Like if you're used to being passed a bucket or something like that. But we believe that the Lord can speak to your heart. There's a, um, some little boxes back there you can put it in. Or what my wife and I do um, is we just set it up monthly to give. And we just think that's the best way to be consistent and faithful. And the reason we do that here at Streams is because the scripture says you need to give with a cheerful heart, not under compulsion. So that's my part where I have to have faith not under pressure, and uh, that the Lord will speak to you. So if you, if you haven't been a part of that, man, just look online, get online, you can see how to do that. The second thing that's really heavy on my heart is just all the situation that's going on in, um, in Afghanistan, and in Haiti as well. But I know in Afghanistan, um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, if they're not already, are going to be persecuted, and some of them will lose their life. That's just the way it is right now. The church that has been booming there will be under persecution like it did in the early church days. And I just want us to take a, f- a few seconds, can we today, this morning, and just pray that the Lord will just do a work there. Bring revival to that land, Lord Jesus, we pray. Protect our brothers and our sisters as they congregate to worship you and love you. Give them boldness. and Give them courage. And we thank you, Father, that eternity has been set in our hearts. And we were not to be... Uh, just total beings that live for 70, 80 years, whatever that being, we were meant to live forever. And I thank you that. So I just pray right now, if you would move in that land, uh, by your presence, by your spirit, we know that there's, that's the answer. Like, that is the answer, Lord, for Afghanistan. We pray that it be a mighty move. And help us as believers pray and stand and believe with our brothers and sisters there. And then Haiti, too, Father. It's just been so devastated throughout my lifetime. Just attack after attack, and I just pray that you would just release your presence on that land, release your power on that land, and we stand with our brothers and sisters there, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Haiti's always on our heart because we have been sponsoring, I think, for, oh, I don't know, 15 years at least, um, a young girl in Haiti. She's now in college and going to university, but with Compassion International, we have supported every month for a long time, so Haiti's precious to us. Um, we're in a series called The God of the Covenant, and in these times we live in today, I think it's so important to understand that God is the God of the covenant. He always keeps his promise, end of story, every time. If he said it, it comes true. And so today we're going to intro to the final covenant we're going to talk about, and I'm so excited about this one. This is the contract you've signed. If you're a follower of Jesus, like you sign on this contract. We're going to talk about the new covenant today, but let's recap the covenants we've been through. Uh, They're on the screen here. The covenant that God originally made with man um, was that I'm going to have a people. I'm going to create you, and you're going to rule over the earth, and uh, you will be my people. And then man fell. And then he gave them that, uh, the the covenant was then that you were going to have to live under this curse. And um, we have the curse of sin. We're going to learn a little bit about that today um, when we talk about Adam. Noah, God's covenant with Noah. God sort of did a reboot and uh, said, let's try this again with Noah's family, the righteous family. 
And then the covenant was after the flood waters receded, there was a rainbow in the sky. And God says, every time you see this rainbow, it's my promise, my covenant with you, because I'm going to have a people. That's the theme. My covenant with you is this. I will never flood the earth again. I'll never destroy the earth by flood again. And some of you the last couple months go, I don't know if this is going to be true, but it's true. Like, God is not going to flood. He's flooded my backyard several times, but he will not flood the earth again. Amen? How many of you have had floods in your backyard? It's been a crazy year. But we needed it. We needed it. We need the rain. We prayed for it. Actually, I just thought about this. We prayed for this like four, three or four months ago. Like, God, Arizona needs rain. And he answered our prayers. Uh, Abraham, God has now made a covenant with Abraham. He says, go out from this place and you will be a nation. Um, and your, your, your um, descendants will be like the, scar, the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea. And again, it's God saying, I'm going to have a people. And this time it was within a nation. Um, and then Moses, although they had rebelled and they'd been under slavery, God delivers them. And this time God gives them a covenant of the law. This is a slave nation. They had no idea how to even interact with each other. So God gives them a law. And the law was a schoolmaster, was a teacher, to let us know that there is no one who's righteous. There's no one who within themselves can do it by themselves when it comes to God's favor. And then we looked at the covenant that God made with David. And David, you are, the Messiah will come through your lineage. And um, sure enough, it did. And these covenants reveal several things. They reveal this, that God has a deep desire to have a relationship with his creation, to walk with them, to speak with them, to bless them, and be loved by him. So in order to do that, God gave us choice, because true love always demands choice. Like my wife chose to marry me and, and to love me and to make that contract with me. We can choose him. We have that choice not to choose him. We can choose righteousness. We have a choice not to choose righteousness. We have a choice, and love demands choice. The second thing we've learned is that God has chosen to be a God of the covenant, who always keeps his promises. He could have done it in other ways, but he chose to be a God in the covenant. Now, today we're going to learn that he will do whatever it takes right, to have a people. To have you, his people, his beloved people. I was talking with my daughter recently, my wife and me, and I said, if I ever write a book, I'm going to probably write My Three Dads. And if you've been around with me long enough, you know that I have a biological father. I have a stepfather who raised me. And then later in life, I got a spiritual father by Floyd McClung. Um, I saw this documentary last week on a terrible practice that happened back in the 1960s with an adoption agency. Maybe you've seen something along these lines. And as an experiment, they took identical twins and even triplets, and they split them up as babies and then, and then gave them to families who adopted them. But the families did not know that that, that child had a twin or, a, um, uh, or triplets, right? And so um, then they would do wellness checks. But they were doing a lot of wellness checks, and they were coming and doing certain activities with them to see how they responded, and they were taking notes. Come to find out at the end of, the, at the end of this time, later on it came out that they were looking at the concept of nature versus nurture. Like, is it your DNA more important, how you, how, you, how you live and how you're raised, or is your environment more important? They were, it was terrible what they were doing, and later on these families found out and they showed in this documentary them connecting with their brother or their sisters 
um, later on in life and just the grief that they had gone through that they had to live separate not knowing all your life I get that a little bit but is it nature what you were born with that controls most of your life determines your outcome or is it nurture the environment that you were raised in um, I had situations in both I had tough situations on both um, both nature and nurture in my life was a little messed up. So honest, there were some saving graces in my childhood. Uh, my mother, who loved me passionately and unconditionally and made unbelievable desserts, that was a saving grace in my life. If you've ever had any cookies or anything like that, you know what I'm talking about. And church said? Amen. 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 Right, yeah. So they're pretty good. Um, my faith in Christ at age 14 and the power of the love of a heavenly father, un unconditional love. And then my spiritual father, Floyd McClung, who went home to be with Jesus in June. Um, I didn't meet Floyd until about 16 years ago. So I actually didn't, read my, I didn't meet my biological father until I was 39 years old, almost 20 years ago. Um, but my stepfather, who I thought growing up was my dad, um, had, um, we had a, a connection that was deep but not in a great way. Um, because I was raised as an only child, and I had this, this desire, I think, like most children do, to please um, a father. But unfortunately, because of the own, his own demons in his life and the way he was raised, um, he would just have issues, like fits of rage at times, and I would never know when they would go off. Um, I mean, it was one of those weird things, because it could be just the littlest thing that was the tipping point that I didn't realize that had been boiling. We would eat at the dinner table, and if I in any way ate improperly or smacked my food, oftentimes I got smacked right there at the table and was told, like, what are you, an animal? You're eating like that? So it got so bad eventually that my mother got us TV trays and sat us in front of a TV to distract us so that I could eat my meal and not get hit. Um, when I got married later on, it was really interesting look at these things. When I got married later on, my wife, who grew up with this very nuclear-type family that all got around the table, she's like, let's sit at the table. And I, not knowing why, I said, I don't, I don't eat at the table. I need a TV tray. Because that's where I ate, right? That solved the problem. Not only that, I ate fast. And we didn't know this till later because my wife's thinking, wow, he just doesn't want to be a family or whatever. The things that the dreams that she had in her heart were not being fulfilled by the way that I acted. But she didn't realize the way that I acted was because I had been trained to get through that time as fast as possible with the least amount of distractions. That's the way I was trained, right? In my heart, in my mind. And if you ever go around and meet anybody or talk to any psychiatrists that have a lot to do with PTSD, they'll tell you childhood abuse is the same as like. Um, what was happening in the Vietnam War. Like in the Vietnam War, you ate as fast as possible because you never knew when you were going to get attacked. And so you're in that mode. And it's the same thing if you're in childhood. You ate as fast as possible because you never knew when you were going to get attacked. Um, my father demanded perfection at all times. So I, we'd get up at 6 o'clock on Saturdays, and I would clean up. We had pigs and goats and clean up all that and come to him. And if it wasn't pristine and perfect, I was back up there again. And he just had this thing about perfection. And so when you, when you live under that, that control, he demanded control, he demanded respect, and any time that, that he'd feel that he got it, 
he punished. Right? That's a lot like the law. I understand that. Um, it went from when I was a child to just the leather part of the belt to the buckle part of the belt. And then when I got old enough, it was it, that wasn't enough, so I had to pull the pants down and then got the buckle. To the point when I was in junior high school, I wouldn't dress out many times because I had the welts because I didn't want anybody to see it. Remember, back in my day, you got a uniform for PE. Yeah, so you had to put on your uniform. And if you didn't put on your uniform, you got failed for that day. Your little shorts, they were little too, little shorts. And that's how I got my wife. Um, so anyway, I was, a, I was a basketball player back then. We wore like those volleyball shorts, right? In college and see what, never mind, that's our joke anyway. It's probably, it's probably not true, but it might be, but it's probably not. So, um, and when I got into eighth grade and moved to Arkansas, he finally stopped physically abusing me, but the verbal never stopped. And I was told oftentimes, you're worthless, you're worthless, and he would fill in the blanks with all kind of uh, illustrations of how worthless I was. And I found out later on, I didn't know this, but he had several brothers, but he was the one with the weakest grades, and so he was constantly berated and beat by his father that you're stupid, you're an idiot, and and he just in, in like again with his own issues he was trying to deal with he just passed those on and passed those down. Um, I just later realized that, and even though my dad came to faith in Jesus when I was 15, he ended up leaving us. Um, so I love my dad. Don't get me wrong, and I know he loved me because he would have done anything for me. Um, he would never say that he loved me, but he would do anything to protect us and to take care of us. So this was not that situation. I love my father dearly, and I so desperately wanted to please him that under this regime, if you will, that was my reaction to it. Um, and when he left when I was 15, we still lived in the same little town in Arkansas and still went to this church of 80 people. He would show up on a Sunday. He never spoke to me again after he left. But he would show up on a Sunday on church and uh, never speak to me. Imagine if this church was half the size at least, and you walked in, and your father was there every week, and he never said a word to you ever again in church. You want to talk about awkward. You know, that's an awkward situation. We would walk down the streets of this town, my friends and I, and they'd see my dad. He'd go, there he goes. And he would run across the street so he didn't have to, have to see me and confront me again. And um, he would avoid me. So... I continued to try to connect with him and to win his approval. So when I graduated from college, I sent him a graduation notice. And a couple of weeks later, it was uh, sent back to me and it says, returned to sender, refused by addressee. Um, so that was it. I never got to connect with him, even though I tried never, many times to reconnect. And 10 years after he left us, he died by his own hand at 49 years old. Um, when I did what was right, I was praised. When I did what he thought was wrong, I was punished. And to me, as I think about this, the reason the new covenant means so much to me when I look at this is the law that we try to live underneath is a lot like that. It's a taskmaster, the scripture says. And uh, when we do right, we're praised. And when we do unrighteousness, um, when we strive for perfection as a means of love and acceptance, you will be disappointed when you're unloved and you're unaccepted. But there's a new covenant. 
And uh, we're going to read about that today that comes along. It's found in Hebrews chapter 8. This is the New Living Translation I'll be reading from. We start in verse 6. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, and I just want the scripture to really speak for itself to your hearts. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this... This is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put their laws, I'll put my laws in their minds, and I'll write them on their hearts. Here it is. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, and I will forgive their witnesses, and I will remember their sins no more. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete, is now to date, and soon will disappear. When I came to faith, that understanding that I no longer had to act or gain approval that through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I had an unconditional love of the Heavenly Father. That blew my mind. Like, that was, it's just something you just never thought would ever happen and could ever happen. Um, that I was now under the new covenant. But there was another hurdle that I had to overcome. Uh, my nature. That was my nurture, my stepfather, my nature. Um, my DNA in my own mind, the, the blood that, you know, I'm thinking that ran through my veins. I met my biological father in 2000, year 2000. Um, Pastor Mark Buckley um, really pushed me to do it. And um, I, I went online. I did research. I finally found uh, this guy. My, my biological father's name is Ronald Church. And uh, I, so I, I sent my mom, I go, you think this is the guy? She goes, yeah, he, Northwest, that's probably him. And so um, I sent him a voice message I left on his phone. He said when he was listening to it, he's on his Harley riding down the road. He almost fell over, pulled over, listened to the message, called me immediately and wanted to come see me. Um, if you've ever read a great, it's a great book, especially if you grew up without a father, by Donald Miller. It's called To Own a Dragon. And he talks about this concept that when you're a child that doesn't have a father, it's like when you're a little kid, you always wanted to have a dragon, right? Like you think, like, if I, and you fantasize about these things, and fantasizing about what a father might look like in your life. And even though I, up to 14, I had one, I still had that in my heart, like, what is this guy going to be like? You know what I mean? And you fantasize all these wonderful things of how it might be and to, to finally connect with him. 
So I knew his name was Ronald Church. And he, I did. You think about what if he is the owner of Church's Fried Chicken? I could get free chicken for the rest of my life. Forget about how much it's worth. I'm just saying chicken and biscuits for the rest of my life. I, you know, like, what if he's wealthy? All these things. Um, in fact, if he would have had his way, my name would have been, true story, Rusty Church. Because he wanted to call me Rusty. He, he wasn't there the day I was born. He was, I wasn't another woman. So he my mom swapped the names, Lloyd Rustin Church, not Rustin Lloyd Church. And uh, I didn't realize, I had never had my name changed by my biological father so when I was 18, because I'd only known Lloyd Baker. I actually changed my name to Lloyd Baker, and now there's this lawyer running around trying to take my name. So he's trying, he's trying, to, trying to leverage my popularity is what he's trying to do. So anyway... Um, so he, uh, when he got the message, he called me right back and he said, I'm flying there this weekend. Like, but, then, but I was a, the executive pastor at Living Stream, so I had a job to do. And I forgot. Somebody would pick him up at the airport. And I said, how will they recognize you? He goes, well, they won't miss me. I got the long flowing hair and I got the biker stuff on. And sure enough, you couldn't miss him. And so he was brought to our church. Of course, everybody in the church was coming out waiting to see him. And so they saw him. And he's, he was a bit of a rough individual. Um, we probably, in many ways in our life, are polar opposites. And I found out that he had gone through, I don't know, five or six marriages at that time. And he had, according to him, 13 children, but most of them born out of uh, the marriage institution. And he only knew three of us. And going on and on and on about his life, it was very narcissistic at times. Um, and after we got done with that, and I'm looking at this situation... I went into a bit of a depression. My wife would say, I was sort of just lying there on my bed, overwhelmed by, this is my lineage, right? This is my, this is my biological father. And I remember, um, it was the Friday before Mother's Day. I was going to Paradise Valley Mall. We lived on that side of town. And I sat down on a bench right outside J.C. Penney's. I can see it right now. And I started breaking down, uh, crying. And I said, God, that is, that's like the blood that runs through my veins. Like, that is the situation. This is, no wonder I've had whatever problems I've had in my life that I thought I had. And I'm just breaking down. And all of a sudden, I'm opening my wallet to see how much money I have to buy a gift for my mom and, and for my wife. Um, the kids were little at the time. And all of a sudden, I see a picture of my family right there, right in front of me. And uh, he said, uh, just the Lord spoke to my heart. No, this is your lineage right here. And the blood that runs through your veins is the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Like, that is not your lineage. This is your lineage right here. Um, what was, um, I want to read to you um, Jeremiah 31 just a little bit. It's not going to be on the screen. Um, so this is what Jeremiah 31 says, verse 31, am I in the right place? Yeah, it is. The day is coming, says the Lord. This is a prophecy thousands of years before Hebrews. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. Does this sound familiar? This is what's in Hebrews 8. See, this is prophesied Hebrews 8. Now, let me backtrack a little bit. The interesting thing is the only thing I knew when I was a young lad was that my biological father um, was out with other women before I was born. He came back and gave it a shot. And then when I was two, he left on Thanksgiving Day and left us a note saying he'd be, that we'd be better off without him. And I was preaching some stuff about that in youth group when I was a youth pastor, and this lady set up a meeting with me later in that week. And she came to me and said, listen, the sins of your father, if they go unrepentant, will fall on you. So if you ever want to break the cycle in your life, you've got to confess his sins like, and go before the Lord, or that will be attached to you the rest of your life. Like, well, that's overwhelming. You tell anybody that? That's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's... And then I, Jeremiah 31, <laughs> I just was reading this right before I think the Lord... If you go to verse 29 before what I just read, it says this, the people will no longer quote this proverb, the parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouth pucker at the taste. And all the people will die for their own sins, and those who eat sour grapes will be the ones whose mouth will pucker. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And so my nature was sort of messed up, but this scripture says to me here that I don't have to live under that curse, right? The day is coming, the new covenant will come. We'll each behold according to our own that if, the, the, if somebody eats sour grapes and the children's lip, lip, I mean, that's what that scripture was saying. That it doesn't matter the nature of your birth. It doesn't matter the conditions of your situation. It doesn't matter about the sins of your father. Your ability to do the right thing or your inability to do the right thing, all those don't matter. If you've never sinned or if you committed the most heinous sins. Through Christ... There is a new covenant. And it was God's plan from day one to have a people that he would love dearly and would love him back dearly. And knowing that, and knowing that if he created mankind, knowing that they would not choose him, knowing that if he created mankind, they would make all kinds of horrific mistakes, knowing what would happen on this earth that it would take this long to get to that place, he still chose to do it because one day he will make a new covenant with his people. So that's why I get excited about the new covenant because I've lived the other ones. <laughs> Romans 5. It's a bit of scripture again. I'm going to read it. I think it's important. Do you hear the scripture in context? When Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. So everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God, as Adam did, now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, one Adam, yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of Righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because of the other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they really were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more <laughs> abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now... God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you see the story? Do you see the covenants? It's right here. Like, this is the culmination of where we're getting to. In the beginning, we discussed that there were conditional and unconditional promises. Uh, conditional promises is if you'll do this and then I'll do that. God is saying unconditional is it doesn't really matter what you do. I'm going to do this anyway. Most of the contracts that we have that we understand are conditional contracts. If you go buy a, a car, you go buy a, a house, it's like these are the conditions. If you pay your bill on time, you know, it just goes down. But if you don't and you don't do that a lot, we're going to take back your house or we're going to take back the car that you have. That's conditional covenant. Um, if you're married, that's an unconditional con contract. Like you're making a contract that says, I mean, for better, for worse, for sicker and poorer. I mean, you just go through the list. But it's an unconditional promise that has to be a choice of your will. It's, a, it's conditional upon the fact that when they get done with all those, you know, all those in better, whatever, and worse, you say, I will. Like if you don't say, I will, then you don't. Right in the past, was like, okay, I'm done here. See you. Like, I'm out of here. Like, if you don't say I will, you're not agreeing to the contract. So it's unconditional in the sense that the marriage is a union before God, but it's conditional in the sense that you've got to say yes. And it's the same way with salvation. Salvation is this free, unconditional gift for you. Through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You don't have to live under the old covenant. You have to live under... The, the abuse that you had or anything else. You don't have to live under that. But you have to say yes. Like you have to say yes to Christ and the sacrifice and receive it. You have to say yes. I want, I want a relationship with you, God. I want to be in right standing with you, God. And you have to repent, the scripture says, and believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This is the beginning of the new covenant. We'll be talking about it for several weeks. But this first step, this understanding that, that you can't make it under the law, you'll never 
get there. You'll never please them. You can't do it. I've tried. You can't do it. You'll never get to that place. That it doesn't really matter what your heritage, your lineage has handed you. Like, you don't have to be that person. But you do have to say yes. And if you say yes, then you become a child of God. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sins. And you're finally in what God desired from the very beginning, a relationship with him. Because he chose you and you chose him. Um, I'm going to have you stand with me, and, and uh, I, I'd like to pray with you. If you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never really said to the Lord, yes, I want a relationship with you, and I realize that I tried to do this by myself, I realize that I'm not good enough, or, or whatever that is. If you've never done that, I want to lead you in this prayer today. And um, I'm not going to have you repeat, but I want you at the end to say yes to it, um, and then tell somebody. So, Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life for me. That when I was the worst of all sinners, that, that I was under condemnation because of Adam's sin, because of everything that was passed to me in my life, um, I'm a train wreck, right? I try to do it my way. And I'm sorry for that. And today I realized that I was created to have a relationship with you. And there's nothing I can do to do that. There's, I can't be good enough. And today I realize, Lord, that I've sinned by trying to do it my own way. I've sinned and I've hurt other people. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Jesus. I thank you that you died on the cross for me, that you carried the weight of my sin upon you at that time. And it was justified through the shedding of your blood. And it's just as if I never sinned. Like, you just wiped it all clean right there. And I don't know what to do with that except to say thank you. I'm grateful. I believe that you've risen from the dead, and today I want to have a relationship with you. And I pray that in Jesus' name, and uh, amen.